Welcome to another episode of Heads Up Missouri. As the legislature prepares to gather this week for veto session, we wanted to provide you with some discussion about what happened the last time the General Assembly convened. That was earlier this summer for the second special session, this time to address Governor Greitens' call to actually strip away access to reproductive health care. So with us today, we have um, seasoned regulars, Senator Jill Shoup and Representative Tracy McCreary, and um, some guests as well, Allison Dreeth from NARAL, Missouri, and Mevi Mead with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Missouri. Okay, so two special sessions so far this interim. That's not something we see very frequently. You know, a lot of us have all kinds of things, including taking care of family members, uh, including some people have jobs in the legislature. So we're a citizen legislature, first of all, and we meet January through middle of May uh, by Constitution. And then we have a veto session in September. And that's what we're supposed to do. So this year in I won't say it's unprecedented. We've had special sessions before for emergency situations that have come up that we needed to deal with. But I would say the special sessions that have been called this year are, in my mind, unprecedented because they are not created out of a need for urgency or an emergency situation. So this most recent one was uh, about passage of an abortion bill. And there are people who claim that the governor called us back into special session because the governor in his race was not endorsed by Missouri Right to Life and wanted to make sure his very conservative credentials are well established as he works to run in the way that he's told us he will for president of the United United States. So um, to utilize the legislature and the people of the state of Missouri in this way for his personal political gain to me is not only confounding, it's It's absolutely outrageous. So I want to talk about that. And I know that we will. And we have a specific bill that we're going to talk about, both the bill that the Senate had agreed upon and passed and the one that the House passed, the changes that were made and what the content of that bill was. So how it will impact real Missouri women. And we also want to talk about the costs of this special session and the governor's role as the executive branch overstepping his bounds into the legislative branch. You may recall that during session, the legislature this past year did not pass any anti-choice bills. And now because of the governor's call, because of his own personal reasons, a bill that is egregious has been passed. So that's my opening on I've spoken long enough. On the House side, we spent hours, and probably if you add up hours, days, discussing what I consider anti-choice legislation. So it wasn't like these anti-choice bills weren't brought up. They made it through. Right. Many bills made it through the committee hearing process and made it to the House floor. But I think when we finished session in mid-May, and I felt like the women's health side of this had a victory, I thought it was because the bills that made it to the House floor were just like too extreme. And I thought that it was leadership decided that they didn't want to move forward with things. And remember, even though there was no new abortion restrictions passed during the legislative session this year, they did do severe damage to women's health and Mm -hmm. safety through the budget process with House Bill 3 in their attempts to defund Planned Parenthood and make that even more far-reaching. 
Mm-hmm. Those House Bills 10 and 11, right? Not, not three. Oh, yeah. Wrong? <laughs> right. So there were over 40 bills introduced mm-hmm. um, per Representative McCreary's point about um, restricting access to sexual and reproductive health. Um, and while the budget included terrible um, efforts to restrict access to health care, preventive health care right. for a very, very important group of women in our state in need of publicly funded preventive care, um, that those other bills that were awfully extreme. And when you look at the over over 30 plus restrictions on the books already in Missouri. We're one of the most regulated states when it comes to abortion, which I'll remind this group, which doesn't need reminding, is one of the safest medical procedures that can be performed and is regulated at a level um, that does not match its safety record. And there are procedures going on in the state right now on women, on children, on men that are much more complicated and are not subject to the same level of regulation. Um, But the existing licensing situation that's in place in our state is actually working in that realm of health care and why you were brought back to a special session, an emergency special session to um, meddle with more abortion restrictions that are medically unnecessary and potentially fly in the face of what the U.S. Supreme Court and federal judge after federal judge have ruled that legislatures need to draw a line that you're only going to be able to restrict abortion when it comes to helping women's health and you just spent all this time, 30 plus pages of a new restriction that I I hope we do get to talk about all for what. And I agree um, with you, Senator Shoup, that it really did have an unmistakable air of political theater. And I think there was an amendment in the House that really uh, crystallized that point, which was suggesting that any expense associated with this special session on abortion be counted as a contribution to Governor Greitens campaign for president. I thought that just said it all. Yeah, no, it really did. Absolutely. It really did. Well, I I think if you could refresh our listeners' memories about this issue, I've heard some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle talk about a woman's right to choose and a woman's access to health care and pregnancy prevention as some like something that the public doesn't support. And the fact is, is that's not true, including here in Missouri, which, you know, feels like uh, more and more of a red state. Can you just remind us about some of the how Missourians feel about these issues? Sure. They are um, actually really common sense. Mm -hmm. Um, We're living in the show me state. And that when you poll real people in the population in Missouri, really around the country, the kind of services, um, access to contraception, access to um, sexually transmitted infection screening and treatment, uh, cancer screening Mm -hmm. and treatment, those kind of preventive services are popular because they're practical. People use them and Mm -hmm. need them in their lives. And Missourians actually support publicly funding those services for people in need, and they absolutely also, the majority supports qualified providers like Planned Parenthood should be able to serve that population. In addition, and Allison can talk about this more as well, when you ask people, do they want the government to ban abortion? Do you want to overturn Roe v. Wade? The majority of Missourians, the vast majority of Missourians oppose that. They don't want that. Yet we have a legislature that I think through gerrymandering is uh, representing a very, very narrow conservative view and advancing this very narrow conservative um, agenda when it 
it comes to access to reproductive health services that doesn't match their constituents, which mm-hmm. I think is actually what happened in this legislative session, right. the regular session. The process worked. Those right. extreme measures weren't supported, right. weren't needed, weren't clamored for, and so they didn't advance. It took the governor doing this mm-hmm. um, very muscular, strong-arming effort, including and Senator Shoup, you can talk about some of the dynamics in the Senate, really arm-twisting of senators to push this extreme agenda for, again, I think a very political purpose. And real Missourians don't need more politics in their lives. They need more health care. They need higher wages. They need better access to paid leave. We know these things. Right. right. And, and I want to reiterate that you know, we talked about this not passing because the bills that were put forward during the legislative session were extreme. But there's also the idea that the legislature saw fit that there were other priority needs, according to the legislature, and that is how the process mm-hmm. works. And at the end of the day, there's an end to the time frame because you are supposed to get your work done within a certain amount of time so that the priorities rise to the top. You're not supposed to be there ad infinitum so that we just can continue passing legislation. Right. And just as Mevi was alluding to, 7 in 10 Americans support access to Roe v. Wade. One in three women will have an abortion in their lifetime. And two-thirds of those women um, are already mothers. And so voters aren't electing their representatives to go to Jefferson City to pull a lever to further restrict access to abortion or to pull a lever in this case to do the governor's bidding. They're electing their representatives to go and take care of our school, our public education, to fix our roads and bridges, which are crumbling in our state, and to make sure good jobs come back to Missouri, um, not to shut down our state's only remaining abortion facility right now. Yeah, so let's get into some of the nitty-gritty details of the bill. Senate Bill 5 is the one that ended up, there are several bills filed, but Senate Bill 5 is the one that crossed the finish line in the end that was sponsored by Senator Koenig, um, who's in St. Louis County area. And it started out sort of as just a short bill that allowed the attorney general to get original jurisdiction. But from there, you know, if that wasn't bad enough, it really snowballed um, and took on a lot of other issues as well. So um, actually, so on the Senate side, which is where the bill originated, that's why it's called Senate Bill 5, before the legislature ever went into session, we actually worked on this bill trying to find some kind of compromise in order to allow a bill to pass, but to put some reasonable restrictions on how extreme the bill was. Because the goal was not to, from my perspective, was not to hurt women and their access in the process. And the person I was working with, Senator Bob Dixon, and I sat down. He had one of the, uh, he had Senate Bill, I want to say four. Anyway, we sat down to talk about um, a bill and how it could move forward. And uh, Senator Dixon is the one who said, well, let's do this from, by working on Senator Koenig's bill. Uh, Let's start there and um, let Senator Koenig Uh, be the one who moves his bill through the process. So we sat down and figured out some things that we could add to the bill that would allow the Republicans to have a bill that they were satisfied with, but again, to try to mitigate some of the harm this bill would do. 
And so some of the things that were included in that original Senate bill that we negotiated for about 14 hours, um, so we fought hard because there were all kinds of restrictions that they wanted to put in that we tried to stop, and in many instances we were successful. So some of the things that bill included were around the issue of tissue and tissue reports and how much of fetal tissue needed to go to the pathologist and what happened when that tissue got there. So we came up with a reasonable compromise that said that, you know, and I think it's current language that said that a representative Mm -hmm. sample of fetal tissue will go to the pathologist. As you know, when the doctor who performs the abortion has the fetal tissue, that doctor examines that tissue. It's called a gross examination. So looks it over to make sure that there is nothing that stands out that may indicate some kind of disease or anomaly. Um, And if that doctor believes that there's a problem, when that doctor sends it to the pathologist, the pathologist can, at that point, choose to do a histopathological examination. And if I get any of this wrong, I hope that my colleagues who know so much more about this than me, please interject. But so the idea of this bill was there was be enough of that sample that went to the, the pathologist that the pathologist could use it to do any further examinations and to and to say, yes, there was an abortion that was performed here. The reason we didn't want all of the tissue to be sent is there are times when law enforcement, for example, needs some of that tissue to investigate criminal behavior. There are other cases, and if you'll jump in and help me, with other kinds of times when some of that tissue may be needed to be used for another purpose that has to do with the health or safety of the woman. Yeah, I think that's one of the cruelest aspects of these bills and in the whole approach is to completely dismiss uh, a small number of women who face really tragic situations with intended pregnancies that face an anomaly. Something goes terribly, terribly wrong with the pregnancy and the um, fetus is suffering from some tremendous um, genetic potentially or some sort of um, anomaly that makes it incompatible with life and they seek an abortion for um, medical necessity reasons. In those situations, the tissue can help that family figure out, pinpoint Mm -hmm. what went wrong and help them with their future fertility and whether they need to be worried about a subsequent pregnancy having the same anomaly or whether they don't have to worry about that. I've talked with countless women, a number in the St. Louis area who came to actually testify against That's this right. bill. So there were people there who spoke about their personal situations. Who, um, For whom this would cut off an access to diagnostic testing. I mean, how cruel is that when people are faced with this situation? I think the bill is insulting to women because there are pieces of it that uh, assume that women can't make up their own minds and need politicians, not doctors, not their family, telling them how to approach the um, consent process for a medical procedure in a way we don't do for other procedures. It's insulting to the medical professionals that Mm -hmm. they need the politicians, not their training, not their hierarchy at their medical institutions to... um, put all the quality assurance pieces in place that are in place for all the other medical procedures in the state and very insulting. And I talked with um, the folks who work at pathology, um, shocked by the level of inappropriate detail in that bill and trying to figure out how they would apply it to their scientific practice and how it would interfere with them doing um, 
testing above and beyond because of the time frames that are in the legislation about what the pathologist right. has to do and when they have to turn it around. It's actually counterproductive to their scientific research with that tissue if they need to research for more indicators of something having gone wrong. This bill does exactly the opposite of what is supposedly stated as protecting women's health. It actually could harm women's health. And Planned Parenthood is very concerned about that. Um, in the 90-day period before the bill goes into effect, um, the operations folks at Planned Parenthood, the medical folks, the legal folks are all looking at this very, very closely. And the commitment that Planned Parenthood is in Missouri is trying to make um, to patients is that however um, they respond to the bill, it's law. Once it's mm-hmm. law, they'll have to follow the law, whether it's through the legal process or the implementation process. Their commitment is to try and mitigate the harm to women. Like what you tried to do in the Senate, they're going to have to do with a much worse bill in practice, trying to serve patients who are in need of health care, basic constitutionally protected health care. Mm-hmm. Right. So... To be clear, the Senate version of the bill said a representative sampling of the tissue so that some of the tissue could be preserved for testing for a variety of reasons from law enforcement to the to the health of the mother to the health of future children she may decide to have. So the, that was a big a significant change because the House version of the bill said all of the tissue mm-hmm. needs to go to the pathologist. So that that creates a problem. The Senate version of the bill said the only time a histopathological examination needs to be done is if it's indicated by a, a review of the tissue, the gross review of the tissue. Histopathological examinations not only cost additional money, but when they're not indicated, one of the doctors who testified said it's actually malpractice to perform to perform tests that are not medically indicated. Right. So for the, again, as you stated so, so well, Mevi, but for the legislature to intervene and say, we know better than the doctors and the pathologists what need to be done, and we are going to force you to have this test. So the House, the Senate bill said, as needed, as indicated, the House bill said in 100% of abortions, a histopathological examination needs to be performed. So a waste of money and, quite frankly, malpractice, uh, forcing doctors to do tests that they know may not be necessary, which is mm-hmm. which is unbelievable to me that we would... And in any other area of healthcare, people would be up in arms over this because it, it just sort of shows like the, the waste in insurance and the waste in healthcare. But for some reason, there's a small group of our colleagues that thinks it's okay. So I just think it's really wrong. Then another thing we did was the time frame. We changed the time frame that was available to a pathologist to, uh, I believe we changed it from the Senate bill to the House bill, that was available for the pathologist to take the time he or she needed to review the tissue to allow in their laboratory things to grow so that they could make a good determination about what the future for having children or any aspect of what may influence or affect the health outcomes for the mother or future children she may choose to have. So when you limit that time frame, what we've done is put an artificial um, barrier on the pathologist who now has to get the report in in a certain amount of time and said, you know, regardless of whether you're done doing what you need to do to provide information about the testing that you've done, we're going we're gonna to force you to move forward and create the report perhaps before it is ready to be created. 
I think the point that you're making, I just want to back up a little, is that all these very nuanced details of politicians um, Mm -hmm. putting these restrictions on the practice of medicine, the practice of pathology, um, is what we like to call, Allison and I both are setting up trap laws. They're targeted regulations on abortion providers, and they're simply designed to create this very complicated web, whether it's time frame, unnecessary tests, all of these different steps that actually ask the provider to go outside of normal medical practice that is needed for improving health outcomes. And that really puts the provider in a complicated position, both because they're not following best medical practice, evidence-based guidance, and it's very complicated. And I think another piece of this bill, when you knit all the 30 pages together, um, that is very problematic is this politicization of the enforcement of abortion laws by giving the skipping our normal right. local process in this state of how um, local prosecutors are able to examine what's going on in their community where they are close and monitoring carefully um, what this bill does when it comes to abortion again targeting just abortion, abortion right. they're going to give the attorney general and we can talk maybe a little bit more about what we think about what might motivate this attorney general now that he's running for U.S. Senate that attorney general now gets original jurisdiction can go in in any jurisdiction and prosecute um, when it comes to abortion laws. And this is a highly, highly concerning across Missouri um, and across the country, whether this could become something that other states latch onto, like so many of Missouri's restrictions um, do lead to this uh, infection across the country of unnecessary regulation. Well, so I think that that's part really of it problem. is just so insulting because in Missouri, prosecutors are elected. So so basically, we're saying that some elected officials like are more important or more powerful than others. And that's not how the system is set up. And I think all of us who vote in our local elections um, should really be concerned about this, that, that the attorney general, who's a statewide office holder, can now come into these local counties, basically, and just say, I know better than you, and I can, I'm going to implement the law differently. And I, th- I find that... I'm just a trampling of local control. I Two think, sections of the bill that trample on local yeah. control. So, well, true. Right. And, but that's one of them. And we've right. seen that a lot this year. You know, local control is mm-hmm. something that Republicans generally love until it comes to one of their issues. We've seen it with the minimum wage in St. Louis. We've seen it um, several times in this bill. Um, and it's a real concern, I think, for democracy when um, Jefferson City politicians think that they not only know better than our federal government, but our local governments as well that are really much more close to the people who elect them than um, the bigger districts that you all run in. But I think going back, you know, to giving the attorney general original jurisdiction is really scary, too. And that's one of the points that um, in the days leading up to the final passage of this bill in the Senate is that a lot of Republicans did speak up against that they were worried about Mm -hmm. giving um, this current attorney general or attorney generals in the future prosecuting superpowers that they might be coming after, after abortion this time, but that they were acutely aware of it could be one of the issues that they cared Mm -hmm. about in the future. And I just think um, it's very scary. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so the attorney general 
uh, in, in the bill that the Senate had. It was a little bit different and a little bit better. It was hard to find a good way to compromise on that portion, and that was the original bill that Senator Koenig had filed, so it had to be in that in that final bill in mm-hmm. some form. So we had, uh, if a local prosecutor had not moved forward on a case, then the attorney general, if he or she at some point in time wanted to move forward on the case, they had to give by certified mail a 10 um, business days notice to the local prosecutor and say that I am going mm-hmm. to be intervening in this. And then if nothing had happened and the local prosecutor had not done anything in that 10-day period of time, then the attorney general could come in. Um, the final bill was uh, equal original jurisdiction with any local prosecutor. So at any time, for any reason, and you know, with regard to abortion, we are mostly talking about political reasons here. So we have a very uh, conservative attorney general in the state of Missouri who, as you mentioned, is running now for U.S. Senate. Um, after six months in office, um, has an has well, I don't know if he's actually announced, but uh, everyone around he has an him exploratory has, committee. Oh, he has an exploratory committee, <laughs> right? Thank you. Um, so, can use this sort of his bully pulpit to get out information to to engage a base of support, and um, that's what we think this is about. And as you stated. There were people like Senator Ryan Sylvie out of Kansas City that have said, you know, this is bad precedent. There are only six cases out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in the state of Missouri where uh, the attorney general has original jurisdiction. So one of our current attorney general's claims to fame is that he was a litigator on the Hobby Lobby case, which for our issue um, is very detrimental. Um, I think he was more of a paper pusher, but we can agree to disagree. (laughs) But he's called himself a, right. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that, you know, when this race for U.S. Senate has had a lot of names thrown into the ring, a lot of people try to out-conservative each other um, to get that primary election win. And Back, it was, I think, 2014, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, when um, the state of Mississippi had a personhood ballot initiative, um, which was thankfully defeated. Um, the anti-choice community really thought they were going to close down that last remaining abortion facility in the state. And I think since um the anti-choice community lost really big in Mississippi. They realized that it was too hard to do it there. And now their focus has been on the last remaining facility here in Missouri. And under the guise of women's health and safety, um, someone as dangerous as this attorney general could, you know, try to make that a reality and, those primary voters or those out-of-state um, dark money donors um, will flood a certain candidate um, for harming women in our state. I want to talk about uh, what both of you have, have sort of touched on, and it's under the guise of the health and safety of women. So there are specific pieces in this legislation that I keep hearing uh, Senator Bob Onder and Senator Andrew Koenig, who very much supported these provisions, um, I've heard them talk about on the air um, 
on television, on the radio. And I want to talk about them because they act as if this bill is about women's health and safety, and it is not. And so I want to dispel the myth around some of the things they're saying. So I'm going to throw those things out and and just ask you to respond to them. One of them, let's start with the complication plan. So um, they're saying, well, you know, there needs to be a complication plan for for women who have um, who are having an abortion if something goes wrong or for women who have medically induced abortions. Can you speak to that and say why this complication plan is not an, a necessary part of women's health and safety? So you're right. And uh, that complication plans when providing any medical procedure are standard operating procedure. And the what in you order, mean they already exist? Yes, <laughs> complication plans already <laughs> exist. They're um, not... Uh, written by politicians, they're written by experts in healthcare delivery um, and complication rates, and um, for the legislature to require an additional complication plan in this very specific area that is to be submitted to the Department of Health in this legislation that I'm afraid also wasn't written particularly clearly. We're trying to figure out if it's individual case by case they're looking for complication reports or global. That's not clear. We're looking for the rules to come from the Department of Health and Senior Services before we can understand that and um, that they uh, need to be approved by the department. There's no time frame for which the department has to approve them and by their nature complication reports um, are probably in an urgent situation and so there's some concern about whether, again, this trap law could be used to feign something about health and safety and then actually cut a woman's access off because there are no approved complication plans. So that's how we're very concerned that the by mandating it in law, as opposed to every other health care service in the state. And I just want to be clear with people that there are regulations um, that cover uh, how healthcare is delivered. Each institution, hospital, um, you know, your outpatient centers, um, you should check. They all usually have certification processes. Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. has one of the most robust accreditation um, processes in the state. Other entities actually emulate and seek the Planned Parenthood accreditation. So all of these pieces are already in place. This politically written restrictions sit on top of and make the physicians have to do these unnecessary and restrictive pieces. So that complication plans, it's in place. Now we have to have a separate politicized one, depending on how this bill is put into law. All right. And so so that was not an, a necessary part of this bill, but now it creates, again, another trap law to create a, a hurdle and a problem that uh, Planned Parenthood would have to find a way to overcome. Um, and it's or not actually, going to do a thing to help women. Right, and it's the patient that's, ultimately who right. gets impacted, that if the complication plan isn't approved, then she can't get her health care. Right. And then another area that I hear them talk about is the inspections. So now in the bill it says um, a minimum of one unannounced inspection per year. I think... I think that we've talked about the fact that that's not necessary, but that's already being done. Correct. The um, Department of Health and Senior Services 
does inspect uh, as a part of the license renewal. There's an annual license renewal process for ambulatory surgical centers or other centers in the state. And uh, for only abortion providers, they require an on-site inspection and you have to be 100% in compliance uh, by the time they renew your license. Whereas other healthcare providers, Mm -hmm. if they find that there's some area that you need to improve, they can renew the license um, and keep monitoring that situation. But no, already for, and this was already in law. So they're adding bureaucratic step in the statute written by politicians, not the, um, the public health experts. And it was, I think, more for show um, than for any medically motivated reason. But mm-hmm. that's what we have but in Senate it, Bill right. 5. And you feel like that's not a problem. I mean, Planned Parenthood will, of course, comply with those inspections and already does. Correct. They welcome the inspections. Uh, the providers at Planned Parenthood find that having to open their doors to regulators regularly, whether it's Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. regulators, state or federal regulators, that that they welcome opening those doors and having those dialogues about the latest and best medical practices to be applied. What they don't welcome at Planned Parenthood is politically motivated, politically mm-hmm. written, medically unnecessary interventions. Right. And so a final one that I've heard them talk about that, again, I want to dispel the myth that this was needed. Um, Interference with medical assistance. So they talk a lot about, um, well, Planned Parenthood has uh, the paramedics if they need to come to the building for any reason. Um, And I want to talk about the safety record of abortions once again. I know you've stated that already. But if they come for any reason, then what it says is that you can't, that Planned Parenthood can't interfere and can't say, oh, turn off your sirens or turn off your lights or come to this door instead of that door. There's a lot of talk out there that Planned Parenthood is directing um, directing the medical assistants to come and to not draw attention to itself. So the policy at the one center in um, providing abortion in Missouri right now operated by Planned Parenthood is that the emergency responders determine how they respond. Um, That is the policy. So there was no need for this restriction. I think, again, if we want to debunk some of the politicization conversation about this, uh, people need to just for a moment, let me draw a picture of what happens when um, you come to that center um, uh, in St. Louis. There are often, um, most of the time, a series of um, three to 25 protesters standing outside the gate, um, some of them wearing kind of official-looking vests, approaching everybody coming in, including emergency response vehicles, trying to give them information that is false about Planned Parenthood and and for um, anybody they suspect coming for services, they try and reroute them to a crisis pregnancy center. Um, And I'd love to talk a little bit more about that, but that's what happens. They also have cameras, iPads, other recording devices, and are constantly filming people coming and going Mm -hmm. from the center. When they see an emergency response vehicle, they turn all of the recording devices on, point it right at the the vehicle, the emergency vehicle, and wherever they pull up. And there have been times when patients' faces have appeared um, in the transport from the, uh, the center to the 
vehicle. They've gotten a picture of the person, blown it up, and put it on the internet. And so, uh, oh my gosh, so no privacy for these patients. The, their privacy has been violated. Their privacy has been violated by those protesters, and in an effort to protect that patient privacy, and actually, it could be a patient, it could be a partner, could it be could a be staffer. a staff member, anybody right. who requires an emergency transfer, um, Planned Parenthood will get you that emergency but transfer. But there's also... It, there are other things going on. Like, first of all, abortions aren't done every day there. Um, and there's a lot of other health care that happens there, including preventive care. So somebody could just trip on their way to an exam room or something. But and, tens of thousands of right, people enter right, and exit a, the center right. every year. Plus a lot of people work there. Exactly. So, yeah. Tens of thousands of people. And so I just want to be clear that Planned Parenthood does work with emergency medical services to ensure patient privacy. It's not clear um, sh- how this um, bill would impact that. There is great concern that staff working to protect patient privacy might run afoul of this politicized language and therefore be um, uh, accused of a misdemeanor. And that on top of what we've just talked about with the politicization of the enforcement, could the attorney general come after staff? Um, for just trying to protect patient safety. We're working really hard to make sure none of those scenarios play out, but we're in this um, unknown period of some intended and perhaps unintended consequences of this political piece of legislation. I think even going beyond that, too, what is really scary to me about um, these new ambulance regulations is, you know, one, I've talked to several people um, that work um, for ambulances or firefighters, emergency vehicles in the St. Louis area who have said that there's no clinical reason to only respond urgently. But it appears also that this language has come straight from Operation Rescue, who's a very dangerous anti-choice organization operating in our area. They showed up in our capital last year to do press conferences, and they have have advocated for the murder of abortion providers. I want to know who in our state legislature, or if it's our governor, who is in contact with Operation Rescue, um, because that is a very serious and dangerous situation to be in for not only patients and their privacy, but for um, the people like us who work every day that have to go past those protesters. You know, just on December 31st, there was a bomb threat at Planned Parenthood. Um, And it's a very scary and dangerous thing to, you know, take care of women sometimes, which it shouldn't be. And I think, you know, it could be a detriment to all of our state safety to be aligning ourselves with those kinds of extremists. And isn't it just ironic that that those extremists will do something that could end up killing a living human being by bombing a... Anyway, (laughs) I wanted to talk briefly about Board Bill 3 because Board Bill 3 is a St. Louis City... 203. I'm sorry, 203. That was put into place. Yes, 203. And... And this bill overturns that. And I know that we want to we want to wind things up, but this is an important part of this. This is the other piece of local control that was preempted by the legislature through this 
egregious House version of Senate Bill 5 that the Senate ended up passing. And then we need to talk a bit about process. Right. And I don't think the language actually preempts Board Bill 203. I think that's a lot of the rhetoric that we were hearing during the regular um, legislative session when there was um, a bill to preempt St. Louis, which I don't ever think preempted St. Louis. Um, I agree. But what it does do... Um, kind of like those AG super prosecuting, it gives crisis pregnancy centers First Amendment superpowers. So states like Washington, California have recently passed laws to make crisis pregnancy centers who often lie to and shame women for the health care that they're seeking Um do a bait and switch that on their websites and here in Missouri, some of them say them too. click here if you need an abortion. And so a woman seeking services will go to this crisis pregnancy center site and think she's getting abortion services and then will be counseled out of that decision. And so this, what this legislation does do is prevent um, any municipality or the state from ever, Um, enacting an ordinance that would make crisis pregnancy centers tell the truth about what services they're providing. Right. So we know that at some crisis pregnancy centers, people wear lab coats that make them look like they are professionals, doctors or counselors, when that may not be the case. Uh, We know that, as you described earlier, Mavi, you know, people stand outside of Planned Parenthood, Sometimes they wear vests that say staff on the back, which you would think that that meant a staff person from Planned Parenthood, and yet they're from a crisis pregnancy center that is trying to lure somebody away from Planned Parenthood. Remember, a woman is bound. She has a limited amount of time to get an abortion before she's not able to do that anymore. And um, and so if you can get her away and engage her in some other conversation for a long enough period of time, then you will end up forcing her to carry that pregnancy to term. And the procedure becomes more expensive the longer that you wait to with abortion services. So yes, this was about protecting organizations who may not be truthful about who they are and misrepresenting themselves to women. Now, some of these crisis pregnancy centers, I think, are are very good and provide services to women. Abortion services are not included, but other kinds of services for women who are pregnant and may want to put a baby up for adoption. But Planned Parenthood also provides those services. Is that correct? Full um, referrals based on whatever the woman is seeking. There are, when faced with an unintended pregnancy, a woman has three options. She can carry to term, she can um, carry to term and give the child up for adoption, or she can get an abortion. At Planned Parenthood, when you are faced with an unintended pregnancy, you get information about all of those options for sure, as opposed to at a crisis pregnancy center where they're trying to manipulate, steer, shame women into a certain position. Um, and what Planned Parenthood provides is care no matter what, without judgment, without assumptions, no matter where you're from, how you're paying your bill, whom you love, Planned Parenthood provides that care. That's the hallmark of the care. And what is terrible about this legislation is that it 
while adding 30 pages of medically unnecessary restrictions to an incredibly safe uh, procedure and a highly respected um, entity that provides a whole bunch of services, then it takes a whole section of crisis pregnancy centers and said they should never, ever, ever Ever get any regulation at all whatsoever. And I just wonder, what are they afraid of when it comes to those regulations? What would they be compelled to do? I do want to step back and say that the the mission of those crisis pregnancy centers are um, to ban abortion, to prevent abortion, to interfere, and to shame those seeking abortion or those who have gotten them. And that's actually the um, stated goal of most of the legislators who voted for the legislation. Mm -hmm. When, as you mentioned, um, Senator Koenig was talking about his bill, he introduced his on St. Louis Public Radio, he prefaced his whole conversation about this bill, supposedly about women's, women's health, health and safety, right. with his firm, ardent belief that abortion is murder and should be banned. So I think that, mm-hmm. that it's not too hard to read not very closely between the lines that what Senator Koenig was doing is trying to prevent access to abortion right. consistent with his beliefs, which he's welcome to, what he's not welcome to, what the Supreme Court has said in the last year you can't do is execute your anti-abortion, your attempt to ban abortion agenda while saying you're trying to protect women's health, that that is a pretext that is unconstitutional and harms women. And Planned Parenthood, as people may know, um, sued the state over some of those restrictions earlier this year and got a good ruling out of a federal court and is on track to to win those cases to get rid of just a couple of the 30-plus regulations And that was supposedly one of the reasons that these new restrictions were needed. And uh, the pretext of this um, whole special session, whole 30-plus pages, is just, it's terrible for our state. It's terrible for our democracy, for legislators to be, um, I think, misrepresenting their position so terribly with such terrible outcomes um, that it's been a a really frustrating summer, I think. Right, it has Mm -hmm. been. Another piece of this legislation was um, that was not in the Senate bill, uh, but was in the House version of the bill that ended up eventually passing, as we said, was the idea that uh, a woman who is required in the state of Missouri to go to the abortion facility and wait 72 hours before she has an abortion, which is just, uh, as you can imagine, the horror to that woman. Does she go home in between and take care of her family? Does she go home and go back to work? Does she, if she doesn't live in St. Louis, does she, you know, travel? How much does it cost to travel across the state and stay in a hotel? So many reasons. And then just the emotional stress and strain on that woman. So now we've added in this House version of the Senate bill that passed another. Um, trap law, another mm-hmm. way to get in between a woman and her access to what she believes is right for her in her condition. So would you talk about that? Yeah. So the medically unnecessary provision you're talking about there is this uh, dangerous, but um, somewhat 
innocuous sounding requirement, which is that the physician who is to perform the surgery, perform the abortion or administer the medication um, in a non-surgical abortion has to 72 hours in advance of performing the medical procedure, meet with the woman in person and talk about risks and consequences. That what had been in previous law, what actually your uh, colleagues in the Senate had negotiated um, in really good faith five years ago was that a qualified professional needed to be the one who was working with the woman as she goes through what I call Missouri's misinformed consent procedure because that consent procedure is filled with medically inaccurate information designed to shame and coerce a woman out of an abortion decision. But that said, that process was managed by a qualified professional. What this bill did, Senate Bill 5, in this extraordinary special session, was shift that responsibility to a physician who has other patients who are you know potentially going into labor at any time that physician has to be the one who starts that process then 72 hours later that physician has to be the one who performs the um the procedure or administers the medication so what this I think it's quite clear, and actually Senator Koenig on the St. Louis Public Radio indicated was that they were concerned that the uh, successful court case of Planned Parenthood would increase access to abortion mm-hmm. in the state. There would be more providers, uh, locations, uh, four to be exact. So there would be five locations across the state, some in southwest Missouri, some in mid-Missouri, and some in the Kansas City area. So a woman anywhere she's living in Missouri would have better access geographically location mm-hmm. to her care but the physician might come from St. Louis and travel to southwest Missouri well if you, you can imagine what mm-hmm. that complicates it if that physician has to be in Joplin 72 hours before the procedure and then back all the things that could come up even in St. Louis what happens if that physician's child is sick right. what if their partner is sick mm-hmm. and they can't perform the abortion well then a whole another 72 hour waits or what if it could be a month before that physician is back on duty so this restriction again somewhat um, innocuous sounding actually is could be devastating to access in the state and it's not medically necessary at and I think the part that just is so irritating to me, you know, I'm a 36-year-old woman of reproductive age. I started going to my um, OBGYN when I was 18 years old. But I realized through this process is I've never seen a doctor for my gynecological services. I've always used a nurse practitioner who is completely mm-hmm. qualified to give me my annual checkup and um, do all of the things um, that she needs to do um, to make sure that I'm healthy and safe. And so to say that a nurse practitioner, another qualified um, professional, professional mm-hmm. can't give me medically incorrect information is just absurd to me, and I have to laugh so I don't cry. Well, anyway, I, I wanted to make sure people know that Allison didn't misspeak. I, I am always uncomfortable when I realize that, that here in Missouri, medical professionals, doctors, nurses, everybody, are being forced by the state to give out information that's not based on science mm-hmm. and sound facts. And that, to me, is like an embarrassing thing, and I think that that seems like something that only happens in other countries. And um, I just am so embarrassed that 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 Mm -hmm. our medical community is forced to give out inaccurate information. And I really appreciate your approach, Representative McCreary. You're trying to... 
raise the standards in our state, and you're always trying to um, seek a fiscally responsible approach to any issue that comes before you. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your impression of how um, fiscally managed this uh, special session has been by our governor. Yeah, I mean, thanks for mentioning that. This kind of ties back into how we started off this podcast earlier that um, I don't think this special session number two was necessary. We had a lot of bills, um, anti-choice bills, bills that tried to impact women's health, um, have hearings and never go anywhere. So um, during this special session number two, um, trying to chip away at women's access to health care choices, we have spent um, about $92,000. And, you know, I think that that's a lot of money. And maybe it's because, you know, I've done fundraising for small nonprofits, but I think there are a lot of very worthy organizations out there that got their funding cut from the state of Missouri that would be happy to have $92,000 added back into a grant or to a program. Um, Adoption services. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or, you know, one of my favorite St. Louis nonprofits, the St. Louis Area Diaper Bank. I mean, you can, there, there is a huge public health need. There are low-income infants and toddlers, those that wear diapers, that do not have access to clean diapers. And it's not just, that. that is a health, yes. has a negative health impact on those and uh, that, that can't have their fresh diapers. So, you know, those are things that I would like to see funded, and I would have rather spent this $92,000 that we wasted on a politically motivated dog and pony show to actually use it for organizations that do good in our region. Well, and again, this, the Senate bill that was negotiated, while I would never have voted for it, it was a bill that allowed me to sit down. It didn't have this last provision that we talked about in it either, this 72-hour, uh, you have to see the same doctor that who is going to perform or induce uh, the, the procedure, the abortion. Um, so we agreed in the Senate. I met with um, Senator Koenig, Senator Dixon, the leadership team, uh, Pro Tem Ron Richard and um, floor leader uh, Kehoe, uh, quite a few people in the room, including one of the uh, lawyers who works for our side of the aisle, as well as the Democratic leader of, of, uh, of the Senate. And uh, so we were all in the room and we said, OK, this is a bill, the Senate version of the bill. We're going to get this passed and uh, send it over to the House. And our understanding will be that we will support the Senate bill. And we don't, you know, the House, we think the House wants to pass this version. We don't know for sure how it will come back to us, but um, clearly we were all in support of the Senate version of the bill, and we were ready to hopefully get that passed in the House and go home. What happened was the House passed a lot of amendments, and you heard about them today, some very egregious um, additions to what was already, from my perspective, a bill that was harmful to women's Mm -hmm. safety and health. So they made, the House ended up making it worse. It came back to the Senate, and the Senate waited a few weeks. And um, when we went back into session, um, senators who were very frustrated already with the idea that they had to keep coming back to mm-hmm. special session were ready to just have it behind them. And the negotiated position that we had all taken um, seemed to go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, very disappointing to me and to members of my party. There were people on the other side of the aisle who said, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, we can't support shutting down debate and voting on this bill. Uh, For a variety of reasons, we 
don't like what's going on here process-wise, but um, at the end of the day, um, we believe that uh, most of most of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle said, you know, it's an abortion bill. I'm not even sure if they all knew what was in that additional, um, more egregious House version of the abortion bill, but they were ready to um, to pass it and move on and go home. And you know what? In my view, women's health be damned. I mean, that was really what this amounts to at the end of the day. So um, what happened was this bond of trust that I thought that we had established, um, which is so critical in the Senate, which is a, a very deliberative body. It does things intentionally. We have a lot of time to talk things out, to work things out, to try to reach reason to compromise. I mean, that's what when at the end of the day, when nobody ends up completely happy, that's usually you've found some kind of middle ground uh, and, and we're able to move forward on it. That went by the wayside with the pressure of the governor who had now intervened and let uh, many of the senators know that the House version of the bill was the bill he wanted passed. He even changed his governor's call for a special session to mirror the provisions that were in the House version of the bill. I think he did that first, and then the House passed those. I can't remember exactly the order. But um, what we ended up with was Governor Greitens' um, legislation. And again, the executive branch of government, whose role is not to, if he wanted to be a senator, if he wanted to be a representative, he should have run for one of those offices Mm -hmm. instead of inserting his views about what the best public policy was around this issue when what we know is somebody's whispering into his ear, this is what you need to do. These are the laws that we need to pass in the state of Missouri to have probably now what is among the very worst and most egregious anti-women's health law in the nation. So Governor Greitens um, bullied his way into getting his way And people who are there who want to get home, who just know it's an abortion bill, so they're going to vote yes on it, regardless of digging in and learning what's a part of it, um, pass that. So from my perspective as someone who worked um, with the Republicans originally to try to get a bill that we could, again, not all vote for, but would allow to go through the process and be passed, is now stuck with this horrendous bill and a question of... When I go back, can I trust my colleagues who said Mm -hmm. that they were going to stand with us on the Senate's position on this bill, who then turned around and called the previous question, so ended debate, so that they could pass this bill and go home. And I will tell you, if you serve in the legislature and you're not an optimist, you're in big trouble. So my hope and my view for the future is that we're going to find our way back to a place where there's trust. But for right now, um, again, I will tell you that the people that I trust first and foremost are Missouri's women Mm -hmm. to make their own best decisions for their own health and that of their family. And um, I'm disappointed in what went on in the session. I'm disappointed in many of my colleagues who... I think broke a trust that we need to get back to. I'm hopeful that we will find our way back there. In the meantime, I'm going to continue, and I think probably all of us in this room, 
to work to undo the policies that harm women's health mm-hmm. in our state, as well as to work for good ones that we can put into place that help women and their families uh, succeed in their lives. And, you know, that's what I went to the legislature mm-hmm. for, is to do good for the people of our community, to do good for the women of our community, and um, that's what we're going to continue to do. So I think Well, going I'm excited. Forward, I'm glad um, for you to remind our listeners and to remind all of us sitting here that we still have a lot of work to do. We, we could probably do 10 additional podcasts on all of the positive things that we want to do for Missouri's families, Missouri's working families. So hopefully that's something we can can get to later this summer and fall. And I'd like to um, thank and highlight all the, the, maybe a silver lining of this terrible people, this terrible special session was a people's special session that was held um, in the midst of the um, House and Senate back and forth. 200 plus people came all the way to Jefferson City um, to speak about just this, the kind of priorities and policies that could help improve their daily lives. Not one of them actually ended up in Senate Bill 5, um, but there's certainly a lot of other, um, there's a lot of other interests. There's incredible mobilization and support for those positive policies that will actually improve people's lives. And I think accountability for a governor who is taking this state in the absolute wrong direction. And I do think um, your Senate colleagues and some of your House colleagues recognize that and Mm -hmm. are interested in creating some checks and balances against where the governor is trying to take the state when it comes to um, attacking women's health, attacking women's ability to make decisions, attacking physicians' credibility and their ability to do their jobs. I think they're, um, I I too am hopeful that they're the, both the the political momentum from the people who came to the people session, both in Jefferson city. And then they had another one in St. Louis and are hoping to have one in Kansas city that that, um, is momentum we can work with going forward. So, yeah, a lot of work still needs to be done, but a lot of good people out there mm-hmm. working hard to um, make this a, a better place. Um, so with, on that positive note, thank you to Mevi and Allison for joining us today, and we'll talk to you again soon.